Welcome to the Property Nomads podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Stefan Svetkov. Uh, Stefan is a founder of RealtyQuant, that's www.realtyquant.com. It's a company that brings data-driven and quantitative techniques to the real estate industry. Uh, he's on a mission to add industry value through education, investment, technology, and analytics. Stefan's a financial engineer turned multi-family investor, analytics speaker, and live webinar host. He holds a master's degree in financial engineering from Columbia University, and during his finance career has managed around about $90 billion worth of a derivatives portfolio, uh, jointly with other colleagues as well. Uh, Stefan, thank you very much for taking the time out of uh, your day today. As uh, a hell of an introduction and um, tell us a, a little bit more about yourself just in case I've missed anything there. Yeah, thanks Rob and pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, I'm a financial engineer before in my prior career and uh, real estate investor now full-time uh, in the US. Um, I live in New York City and I, um, I'm also founder of RealtyQuant, like you mentioned. So we do like various like data-driven they have a data-driven real estate investing course and um, on the education side and also like do like market data as well as um, like other like property analytics in-house. And we are also an investment company. Um, so, so this is what they do. Awesome. Um, we're here to mainly chat macroeconomics. There's a lot of stuff going on at the moment uh, anyway. But before we dive into that, just on the investment side and, and the analytics, people are obviously aware that you're, you're based over in the USA, um, yeah. but data is one of those things that if it's used properly, it, it's going to work in pretty much any country you invest in in the world. So yes. just from your experience of data-driven analytics, uh, what do you look for as an investor when you're investing? Uh, and is there anything that you've got that can be applicable to people worldwide? Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's a great question. Uh, so, yes, uh, so I would say data-driven investing is a mix of a few pieces. So one of them is automated underwriting. So um, that's, you know, pretty much applicable anywhere. So it's really like pulling off-market, on-market uh, properties data and sort of trying to um, more precisely or approximately underwrite those properties and you know, get a sense into their, uh, what the returns are going to be on that investment and so forth. So it really boils down to that. Now, it sounds, it's a little more complicated than it sounds sometimes because, for instance, like if you want to go as far as reading the images of those properties, sort of like, um, or like reading the textual descriptions or the images, then it gets into like machine learning, natural language processing, computer vision methods, things like that um, are very useful in automated underwriting. Then there's also automated valuation models. So that's the things like, um, you know, like kind of valuing houses algorithmically that is very, very challenging, you know, and so forth. But, but in, a, some, in a preliminary sense to an investor, it can be very useful because it can help you like discover like price inefficiencies, you know, perhaps discounted properties in more illiquid mm-hmm. markets. So this is another um, data-driven thing. On the commercial side, in the US, for instance, there is the value-add model. I'm not sure how popular it is with you guys. Uh, where one purchases a large commercial building and sort of improves its um, net operating income and you know raises the value of that building. So that like data-driven investing is very useful. Um, 
to me personally is uh, in terms of like uh, modeling, for instance, rental listings data for various apartment buildings and coming up with, okay, what's going to be the value out on those buildings? So those are like other examples just on the property, like on the investor side, but it really boils down to just pulling lots of data and kind of trying to have it um, underwritten, modeled as much as possible um, so that you kind of save time, you know, save manual work. And, and all that. And um, on the market side, it's a very interesting question because on the market side, uh, okay, there's like the f- kind of forecasting of prices, which is um, relatively, it's not so difficult while the, while the trend persists, it's actually fairly high accuracy of forecasting. For example, in the US, like I had like perhaps 1.4% error predicting like, let's say state level appreciation in 2018, 2019, because it's it's a very clear trend it's not now once the trend deviates okay then the forecast kind of fall apart right and so so it's um you know that's um in that sense but really forecasting fundamentals and kind of trying to pick like the back the best markets based on fundamentals of population income housing supply and that is really the same in every country too real estate fundamentals they're everywhere the same you know it's everywhere population income housing supply um, it's really like coming down, it comes down to are you going to understand how the economy is going to evolve in those factors and um, forecast prices of them. Now, another thing that my company has done uh, that I'm very proud of is actually, um, so we track market valuations for real estate. So how over, under, fair the value of real estate is. Now we do it for the US. Um, I kind of have a sense for UK from a Bloomberg economics study and how it ties to what we do. Uh, but we really uh, published like essentially overvalued markets data for like 2,700 US counties. So we can we give a sense, let's say, at the current time um, with perhaps the prospects of a recession, you know, we give a sense of which markets, um, you know, have more downside risk uh, to come, you know, after the end of the current market cycle. So this is another data-driven thing that I think it's very important that it's underutilized in real estate because I feel like people usually pick their markets based on, you know, population and um, let's say job growth, you know, all those different factors, which is okay. Um, but there is really no downside risk management. In terms of, so in terms of what I picked up from there, and again, these are key lessons that I think, regardless whether you're looking to buy your first property or real estate investment or you've got hundreds and thousands um, of, of property is that if you understand what's going on economically that's useful but you know knowing knowing the area knowing the demographics uh, basically doing the fundamentals and and doing your homework that that lesson shouldn't be any different if you're looking to buy your first one or you've got 100 units is that a fair thing to say um i think so yes uh, yeah definitely market selection real estate fundamentals is it's fairly fairly the same really and it's fairly the same in if you buy it like for instance i'm eastern european if you buy it in eastern europe or if you bought in the uk or if you bought in the us it just comes down to understanding um, those fundamentals of income and population and and so forth and you know if you have a declining population region it's it's roughly the same in real estate performance whether it's in eastern europe or whether it's in the us you know, we have this with upstate New York, upstate New York, declining population, uh, for instance, markets and, um, you know, the price performance is perhaps quite in line with, you know, some of the areas in Eastern Europe that experience the same demographic trend. So that's interesting. And when you say upstate New York, uh, New York to me, I'm, I'm thinking Buffalo, Rochester, 
those, those sorts of areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Buffalo had sort of a resurgence a little bit and kind of improved um, a bit uh, this cycle, but but otherwise, um, yeah, a lot of, I mean, I would say a lot of the Northeast, uh, Northeast in the US in general, um, does have like uh, demographic challenges, let's say, that they, they've been for a very long time. They've been really for 70 years, you know. It's, a, it's not new, but there are like specific cities that, uh, specific cities that have, Perform better, but uh, but now with uh, remote work changes, then some of that is shifting as well. Um, so there's like um, you know shifting away from some of those cities, and so with the broad demographic problems that they have within their states now, okay, are those cities going to persist too well? Um, I don't know. Time will tell. One, one way to find out. I think importantly, actually, before we sort of look at the state of what's going on at the moment. Um, actually, before we do that, you've just mentioned a couple of times demographics, and I've, I've been trying to, I've been trying to get this into my head as, as well because with all the, you know, baby boomers, uh, you know, after the Second World War, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there's this just big, massive, what I can see is this just big, massive curve of people are living longer. There's more, you know, old people around and about, which then puts a burden potentially puts a big burden onto the, the financial system because there's not necessarily enough young people to support the old people, et cetera, et cetera. I, my research on this is very primitive. Um, you, you're a man in the know. What are you seeing demographics-wise that, you know, globally we should be concerned about with regards to property and real estate investing? Mm-hmm. I Well... I don't think I, that's a great question. I mean, yeah, that's kind of like a shift in like aging and and that. And um, um, I I'm not particularly concerned because that like at least in the U.S. like the way they think of that is okay. You shift between like different asset classes. You know, whether it's going to be senior living, whether it's going to be student housing or apartment buildings and so forth. Um, there can be uh, there can be some. You know, changes, you know, in that sense. But I don't have too big like demographic concerns at the current time myself. As far as um, as far as that, I think they're in specific regions. I think it comes down to really usually not investing in regions with declining population. Um, you know, searching out you know those better, um, you know, more growing regions. In the US, those happen to be markets to the south and and uh, in the west, and then in the UK, respectively would be in its own regions. But one thing I wanted to stress right now, because I know, um, for instance, like, so today, like, okay, stock market opened in, well, bear market territory, that let's say it could go into a potentially, um, you know, potentially it could close there or not, you know, at the end of the day. And like, there's like different like concerns for a recession and gets measured differently in every country and so forth. The one thing I wanted to mention, like I track, I follow like a Bloomberg economics, um, study for how for overvalued real estate now that one um i don't have it like so new it's like about a year ago actually so it's kind of old uh, but the uk was in price to income ratio deviations from historical values was at 131 percent at the time so there seems to be some overvaluation just say in the uk and at the same time the us was actually right around 100 and the US went overvalued subsequently. And that was tracked like within my company, Realty Quant, very well. And we came up with a statement like mid-2021 that the US housing market is sort of changing regime with inflation. Mm-hmm. And so, but I just want to say like this thing, like this like, comparison, 
it's very important to track how over or undervalued markets are at the current time, because even if they do not correct, let's say, it's not like a gloomy scenario of, okay, are they going to crash? Or I don't think real estate crashes per se. I think even if we take something like the global financial crisis, it didn't actually crash. It was uh, in the US, it took an average of four years and one quarter to reach to the bottom. So sure, there are very big declines in the overvalued regions that were at the time, but they still took like four years and one quarter. So it's an extremely slow process. Uh, similarly, like after 1990 recession, so I've done like studies of the past three recessions, actually, like 1990, 2001, and 2008. And so after 1990 recession, the broad, um, the broad US real estate, for instance, had no decline, but there, and I'm just giving it as an example of, because it's really the same fundamental analysis everywhere. There is, there's no question about that. It's going to come down to if prices have deviated from the fundamentals of income population and housing supply, and if there is an economic slowdown, statistically, chances are that those deviated prices, they're going to correct. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, that's what happened after every recession, at least those three recessions in the past um, 30 years or so. And so, um, yeah, so after 1990, US real estate was actually undervalued, in fact. It wasn't even fairly valued, it was undervalued. Like the majority of states were undervalued, and they experienced no decline, no decline whatsoever. But there were nine states which were over overvalued, and the economic slowdown happened. In those nine states, the prices declined. Notably, there was, for instance, Hawaii. Hawaii was super overvalued, like 48%. And it's very interesting. Since the economy recovered in a very strong way, the price corrections in those overvalued states were very relatively small. They were, let's say, roughly to a third, one third of their overvaluation. And so let's say Hawaii was 48%. And just it's a, just a case study. Then okay, it declines, declined fourteen percent only, but this decline took eight years and one quarter to happen. So prices in Hawaii eight years later were fourteen percent lower. But this is the impact of investing in overvalued markets right now. So notably, like on the global scene, and that's been noted by Bloomberg Economics. There is also a study by OE. I'm not sure, like perhaps OECD related. Um, organization. And um, and so the most overvalued real estate right now is in the scans economies. So it's not US and UK to such extent, although I suspect UK is a bit higher than the US, but the US is quickly catching up uh, as well. But um, it's in the scans economy. Scans economies are Sweden, um, Canada, Australia, Norway, and New Zealand. So they're very different locations geographically, but they share their own commodity exporters and they all have small independent, small economies and they have independent central banks. And during the 2014-16 credit crunch, their independent central banks cut interest rates. And so scans economies are notable in the current cycle that's by by, uh, several analysts that I have seen as having very overvalued real estate. So Canada and uh, New Zealand and uh, Sweden and Norway, Australia are right at the top of overvalued real estate. So if somebody wants to invest out there, it's not the question, are prices going to crash? I don't think, like you said, real estate crashes per se. I think real estate bleeds down to its fundamental levels, depending on how fast the recovery is. And if that recovery is very fast, 
like it was very strong, like after 1990, the correction ends up small. If the recovery is weak, like after global financial crisis, the correction ends up big, like with the, like to the extent of the full overvaluation, for instance. But again, but whether it's smaller or bigger, um, you know, correction, it's still going to be an un- likely an underperformance. Because if we, again, like using uh, Hawaii, just a case study, just a case study to, to refer to, okay, they didn't correct much, okay, they're super overvalued, they correct only 14%. Okay, it's not the end of the world, but that is 14% negative performance over eight years. In the meantime, all the other states performed that were undervalued experienced, let's say, 50% positive appreciation. And so there is expected under relative underperformance if economic slowdown happens in overvalued markets. And so that is the key lesson, I think, like for people, whether it's in the UK, US, Canada, Australia, et cetera, to really um, track down valuations. I don't know if there are vendors who do this um, over there, um, but really to track down, okay, which are compute, even compute yourself, just take price income ratios, histories of price income ratios. Um, how are they now, you know, versus like historical levels? Try to get some kind of high-level intuition. And that is, uh, in my opinion, very essential. There is no, um, it's not like a um, particularly negative scenario because it really comes down to projecting the economy. It really comes down, okay, there's a recession, how fast the economy recovers? That is, to me, the question. To me, the question is not prices. To me, it's just purely fundamentals and purely economic growth. But, but again, like investing in like, very overvalued markets is just not uh, already likely to underperform. And those, and it's very important to note that those markets, be it in 1990 or global financial crisis, the markets that were overvalued at the time, at the peak, there tends to be very strong correlation between performance mm-hmm. and if, if it's overvalued. That's interesting. It doesn't have to be like that. But at the end of the market cycle, the, the markets that did really, really well, they did the best, looks like they did a little bit too well, and then they're overbought. And so there is very strong. So before 1990, correlation was 95% in the US, between which, mm, well, let's say broadly, US states did really well and were also overbought at the time. But, okay, so definitely in using that case study of Hawaii, definitely that was the top performer at the time. But over the next eight years, that no longer was the case. So it's hard for people now to kind of think of this and of this potential that, okay, like those extremely booming markets, uh, for instance, in the US, they happen to be in the South and West, like, you know, like Florida, uh, Texas, Arizona, you know, and, and so forth, if they could actually underperform, you know, in the future. And there are like such pronounced overvaluations, I would say, in the US. So it's, it perhaps um, it's going to be like, in a way, a shorter term horizon than, than those eight years for sure. But, but still, it's a consideration to take. And, and so I think this is like a very important fundamental metric to look at now, uh, besides like the usual like population growth, in, income growth, job growth, housing supply, et cetera. So, so that's like one, um, one important thing. So Bloomberg economics, they can look at like as far as on the global scene and and can also check, people can check for the scans economies. This is, um, um, you know, 
I'm not sure how, where exactly things stand in the UK right now. That was about a year ago, but it seems to be some overvaluation. It's not, not as high as in those economies again. And um, US was even less, but US very quickly accelerated <laughs> over just one year. So the US, I don't know what's the relationship of US and UK at the current time in terms of uh, overvaluation, but there seems to be some overvaluation. Those over, another thing, like I had a friend of mine, investor, like he says, okay, if something is overvalued, is it going to necessarily correct in prices? Because mm-hmm. one might think it doesn't. But guess what? In we take GFC in the US, about 2,700 US counties. Out of them, we take those counties at the peak of the market in let's say 2007, you know, different peak in every in every region. And um so let's say a percentage of them were overvalued. I don't remember off the top of my head. Let's say two thirds or 70% or something like that. And then we get to the bottom of the market, which is like four and a four years and one quarter later in 2011. And so now it's 2011. We are at the bottom of prices. At the bottom of prices, how many of those counties are overvalued? Zero percent. There were 11 counties only. So that's like just an example. On the additionally, 1990. Okay, one can say, okay, that's GFC. People think there is the concept of a crash. Think that something is actually crashing. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case, but let's say you know it could be. And so, uh, from that perspective, and then if we take 1990, there is no crash at all. The U.S. real estate prices stay the same, but regions which are overvalued, and since there is a recession, there is a an economic slowdown, regions which were overvalued, those nine states, or California, notably at the time, so Oregon, um, you know, besides Hawaii that I already mentioned. So they, um, how many of those that are overvalued, over 20%, 20, 30, 48% uh, in Hawaii remain overvalued five years later? None. They all go to zero. They all go to zero valuation. Typically, they don't only go to zero, they go to a slightly negative valuation even. They even go slightly undervalued at the end of this kind of cycle. And so that's very interesting. So it's not, uh, so fundamentals in real estate, they work. In the stock market, it's harder to, harder to do like a similar analysis because in the stock market, okay, you have um, forecasted future earnings. Okay, it's like, kind of hard to figure out what the earnings are, what should be the multiple for each and every specific company to use, like so that the price to figure out what the price is and so forth. And it just gets like very difficult to even gauge like how overvalued. And there are attempts, there's like different metrics in the stock market, like Tobin's Q and Case, um, sorry, like um, Shewer, Cape, and, uh, you know, or just price earnings ratios and so forth. But in my experience, from my sort of like very amateur attempts to do it, it's 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 just much more difficult. And in real estate, it's um, it's easier. It's actually um, in the U.S. like so. This kind of fundamental analysis predicted the state level declines to an eighty-five percent correlation, and then the county level declines to like a seventy-five percent correlation. So it's not hard. And again, it's it's not. This is not like a crystal ball. It's not about timing. It's not about how the fundamentals recover. It's just about, okay, if something is overvalued, you can measure it. And so chances are sooner or later it's going to correct. Now, you don't know the exact timing, but sooner or later it's, or not, I shouldn't say correct, because not in price terms, the valuation is going to correct. 
And so sooner or later, it's going to resolve, let's say. Let's put it like this. And, and so this is like my observation from, and in 2001, um, so the dot-com, kind of dot-com recession, like big stock market crash in a way, uh, but not so, um, not so much for real estate. And so in the US, for instance, there, was, there were zero states that were overbought. So, so after 2001, nothing happens. Just uh, real estate continued forward. So that's interesting to note, but there was nothing that was particularly overbought either. And so, but generally, statistically, like for me, what I'm watching now is, okay, is um, like National Bureau of Economic Research, that's the organization here, like, is it going to re- declare a recession? And if it does, then, okay, that's a predictor for me of that the overvalued markets valuations ought to start gradually over a long period of time of four or five years to gradually go down and down and down. Now, as, and as discussed, prices may not correct much because usually I know like many investors, they focus on this. Okay, perhaps prices could decline just 10%, you know, something like that. I don't disagree with that. I think that's a reasonable, you know, high level expectation, you know, in some of those overvalued markets. But it's just, um, it's just a question of even if they do decline um, 5% or 10% or something like that, it's, Mm, it's just what's going to be the overall performance. So how, where do you invest? So it's kind of, what are your, what is your forecasted appreciation or growth over the next years? And I think what I take away from that, Stefano, first of all, thank you for going yeah. really in depth into that mm-hmm. and, and explaining that. What I would say to that is, is people that are listening and thinking, well, it's very US based. Uh, well, the uh, reason for that mm-hmm. is obviously well, Stefano based in New York and you know, the US market. So if people are listening to this thinking and what doesn't apply, that that sort of information will apply in the UK because while I speak to people, people listen to the podcast, say that, you know, they they believe there's quite a bit of overvaluation at the moment here in in the UK. I have no data to prove that, by the way, but that's a general feel amongst investors. So I just want to point out that you know the US market much better. That's why the examples you've given are Hawaii and other states. So I just want to lay that to rest. Uh, the other thing that I've, that I've taken from yes, that. Robert, yeah, sorry. Sorry, just one, if I may interject. Yes, but the one thing I tie to the UK is, um, so in that Bloomberg economic study that I mentioned for overvalued across countries, so their US measure, mm, at the beginning of 2021 is roughly in line with what I see. So it kind of intuitively, um, and so so it was in agreement. So I feel like it's not super off in terms of like base, so to say. And so so that's kind of what is giving me some sense, some intuition about UK, um, where things stand there. So it's definitely, this stuff is applicable. This stuff is exactly the same in every single country. There is no... So all that people need to do is kind of really look at, I mean, the, the more detailed way is like income, population, and housing supply. But if one just takes price income ratios and tries to find like a deviation from historical levels, one would be able to detect the overwatered places in the UK as well. Thank you for explaining that. And I think that the key, the key thing to take away from this, this episode is that number one, data and analytics with regards to property real estate is incredibly important anyway and that applies no matter where you are in the world and and secondly there's always going to be opportunity because what I thoroughly enjoyed hearing from you 
was really talking about you know the 1990s GFC that actually for all the data there's actually still areas uh, even in the US where there is still opportunity there so they're the two key things that I would take away and say to listeners that data is important the analytics are important try and understand them and use them to your advantage and secondly that there, there will always be opportunity you've just got to know how to look for it Exactly, Rob. Exactly. If they invest in undervalued markets at the peak now, or let's say, I don't know if it's the peak now, but at the peak of the cycle, whenever it is, right? And then they would, that would be just fine. That would be a fine opportunity. There could be some, you know, economy slow down and there isn't much growth and prices stay the same. But uh, undervalued uh, regions, at least in the U.S., after the global financial crisis, the prices have crashed so much, the prices there stayed almost the same. They almost didn't decline. That's quite interesting. So there, definitely there is complete opportunity. It's just one needs to be aware where to invest and then like conduct his projects according to that and just not kind of avoid the overheated areas right now. But it's not probably one's intuition on what are the overheated areas probably could be correct. But it's good to look at the actual data and actually validate it, you know, if that's the case. Totally agree. I absolutely agree. Um, Stefan, I think that's a a wonderful place to wrap up. Um, I think there's an awful lot of content there that people can, you know, learn from and take away from. If people want to find out more about you or or get in touch, how do people find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So my website, uh, riotiquant.com. Also, I have a YouTube channel, Finance Meets Real Estate on YouTube. Perfect. We'll put the links to that in the show notes, as we always do. And and just a a massive thank you again, Stefan, for your your insight. I've learned a lot for the last half an hour, and I'm sure people listening have learned a lot as well. And, you know, look forward to uh, maybe having you on again. Thank you as well.